0: our Bibles to Romans chapter 15, studying the book of Romans together on Sunday morning. Come to chapter 15, verse 18. If you're with us this morning and you're without a Bible, just wave to one of the men coming up the aisles with Bibles right now, and they'll get one into your hand. And if you don't own a Bible, please make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you today. One prayer request, Um, I'll be absent next Sunday be in uh, East Coast. There's a Calvary Chapel conference on the East Coast, and, uh, and one of the speakers there for a session, and then uh, we'll have the joy of f- uh, filling Pastor Joe Fosch's uh, pulpit on the midweek at CC Philly. And uh, i sure appreciate your, your prayers for uh, the kind of final prep on all of that uh, this week. Uh, don't want to go out there alone without your intercession. Picking things up in verse 18, chapter 15. "'For I will not dare to speak of any of those things "'which Christ has not accomplished through me, "'in word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient,' "'Paul writes, and mighty signs and wonders "'by the power of the Spirit of God, "'so that from Jerusalem and round about to Elycrium "'I have fully preached the gospel of Christ.'" And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he has n- was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. For this reason I also have been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. And it pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors, for if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. And therefore, when I have performed this and I have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. For your word, we thank you for every jot, every tittle, every uh, thought, uh, every uh, meditation or, or intent in your heart behind it, why these words and why these truths are found in your scriptures, Lord, and, and why they're important for us to have be built into our lives. We recognize that they are. And we ask that today you would speak to us through your Word and into our personal relationship with you and into that place of your calling upon our lives as Christians and, and in our place of service within the body of Christ. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. At this point in Paul's letter to the church at Rome, the Apostle begins to formally close the letter. You say, how can it be a formal close when there's an an entire (laughs) one more chapter? uh, That's a P.S. Paul, like any good preacher, uh, has three closings to every sermon, and he kind of has that with a letter. He closes it three times. The key for a preacher is to close on the right closing. And uh, most often, we close on uh, one that we should have never gone to. But, uh, but Paul isn't really encumbered by that, and he closes this book now with personal comments. Uh, this is the personal section of the letter, and it gives us great insights into Paul's personality. It gives us uh, even more important into his view of the Christian life and into how he saw uh, ministry, and because Paul, as we mentioned last time, probably has influenced more people in human history, uh, second only to Jesus, who was in his own category. And so what makes this guy tick? What makes him uh, live through all of the hardship and be faithful all the way to the end? As church history would tell us that the end came with a beheading and that was his means of uh, entering into heaven. And so much of that is found in these personal comments that are uh, in this, this chapter 15. Last week, we, the time we took note of uh, Paul's affirmation of the church. He was an affirmer. Uh, and uh, and an encourager, uh, as well as faithful to rebuke and correct. Uh, His explanation to them for the boldness with which he had spoken, all the things that he had spoken to them, it was simply him just being faithful to God's call upon his life as an apostle. He explained to them his repetition, so much of the repetition that 's found uh, in his letter to them, and then how he viewed his ministry uh, uh, as the apostle to the Gentiles, and that it was a privilege to uh, be glorified uh, to glorify uh, God in that way and then we pick things up here in verse eighteen and he, he describes his ministry preaching the gospel of Christ supremely. Uh, to the Gentiles. The gospel is very simply God's invitation to mankind to be saved. It's an honor to hear the gospel. It's an honor to hear this invitation by God to be forgiven of our sins and to enter into a relationship with him. And it's important that if you're not a Christian here this morning to understand that. The recognition that our sin has separated us from a relationship with God, and it is a relationship with God that we have been created for. And there'll always be that sense that there must be something more to life. There will always be this emptiness in our life until we're engaged in the very thing that we've been created for, a relationship with God. And God invites us to receive the forgiveness of sins and salvation, the capacity to enter into a relationship with Him by simply putting our trust in His Son, in His death, His burial, and resurrection uh, from the dead, and then to receive everlasting life as a package deal and receiving Jesus into my heart. And this was the… Paul had uh, been called by God to… Uh, deliver that message and specifically deliver it to the Gentile, the non-Jewish part of the world. He gave uh, this uh, call that God upon, had upon his life. He gave it his absolute all. You see in verse 18, he did it by word and by deed. He describes in verse 19 the scope of his ministry, his faithfulness. To what god had called him to and as a result of his christian service his faithfulness to be an apostle the entire section of the roman empire that stretched from uh, jerusalem and kind of the uh, eastern reaches of the empire all the way uh, to uh, alicrium there was the 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 place of his uh, he, he, that he had filled that entire region with the message of the gospel. And Lycraeum is the province of the Roman Empire that bordered the Adriatic Sea, uh, just across the Adriatic Sea from Italy, and uh, it's in the area of what is modern-day Croatia, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Montenegro, and Albania. It's, uh, it's a massive area and, uh, and speaks to Paul's Uh, commitment to what God had called him to do, really mind-boggling his influence. He tells us in verse 19, he describes really the power associated with his Christian service and with his Uh, his ministry, that the Holy Spirit, as we see in the book of Acts continually as you follow the record of it there, how the Holy Spirit came and confirmed the gospel message and validated what Paul was teaching, validated God's call upon his life as an apostle, repeatedly with signs and wonders and uh, with power. Sometimes I wonder today, there's a segment of the body of Christ that wants to deny signs and wonders and powers and the full dynamic of the Holy Spirit, and I wonder, what are you doing for Christ? Uh, What frontiers, uh, what walls are you breaking through for the gospel that uh, somehow you can dispensationalize this? Paul knew nothing about it. Uh, He recognized the supernatural about uh, of the holy spirit related to his ministry and without which none of this would have been uh, accomplished at all it is fascinating to me though here is that paul never took any credit for it i mean all of this i mean if god uses me for five seconds i'm impossible to live with for 48 hours I've got to deal with pride and all kinds of you know, visions of grandeur related to myself. He reaches an entire section of the ancient world, and he would never ever uh, touch the glory uh, it, it, that belonged to God and God's use of him. And the reason that he didn't, he recognized, as he tells us in verse 18, he recognized that he was just simply an instrument in God's hands. And so these, all of these things that happened through his life, uh, they were things that God accomplished through him. I like how the Amplified Bible puts verse 18. Let me read it to you. For I uh, I will not even presume to speak of anything except what Christ has done through me as an instrument in his hands, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles to the gospel by word and deed. And Paul recognized himself as an instrument in the hand of God, and that was the sole explanation for uh, his, his effectiveness. I think that Paul, constant, just constantly conscious of the fact that he was simply an instrument in God's hands and that, as is the case with any instrument, whether it's a violin or whether it's a scalpel uh, or what, uh, whether it's a basketball or a baseball bat, uh, the instrument uh, it only accomplishes, it's only significant. It only comes into play in any significant way because uh, someone is using that... Uh, that instrument. And uh, the glory always belongs to the master using the tool, not to the tool uh, itself. And Paul recognized himself to be uh, just that kind of a tool. Everything is owed to the skill of the master. Otherwise, uh, an instrument would lie on some table somewhere uh, at the side of an operating table or wherever it might be until somebody uh, chooses to pick it up and to use it, and so it is in Christian service. Whatever spiritual fruit comes out of our lives, it's founded solely on on God's grace demonstrated in His choice of us, and, and then in His uh, use of us. There's a famous old uh, poem they even made a movie about it i saw it when i was a a young christian and it was a called the touch of the master's hand and it talks about a a violin that was being sold the violin that had really had some life you know some wear and tear on it as it's being sold at this auction, uh, they get, the auction gets it up to $1 and $2 and $3, and there it stops at $3 until uh, this man comes from the back of the room and he picks it up and he begins to play it masterfully uh, before the, uh, everyone that is gathered there. And, and now as an expression of, of his mastery, his, uh, his expertise, the bidding goes up and finally it sells for uh, $3,000, making the point that it's God's use of us that makes our life valuable and makes it a blessing uh, to others. And Paul knew that without the Lord's presence in his life that without God's use of him, gracious use of him, that he would have remained exactly as he was before God uh, saved him and found him, so to speak. And that is, he would have continued his life of persecuting Christians, uh, basically a, a religious, though religious, a savage animal Uh, in uh, ordering the death of Christians and imprisoning them, men, women, children, the monster that Paul was in the name of God before he became a Christian. And Paul never lost sight of the fact that if God hadn't saved me and and if he wasn't using me, I would still be that person. And it's always good, never good to spend too much time thinking about what we once were. Uh, But any time we want to begin to take some of the glory for how God uses us just to stop and think about what we once were and what we would be even more of today, apart from His salvation and His calling upon our lives, and and it's a great cause for uh, maintaining humility and awe at God's uh, use of of any of us. As the old saying goes, humility has made up of two things— honesty and a good memory. And I think that Paul was always remembered what he once was. He brought it up continually in in his uh, epistles. Uh, he didn't bog down there. He didn't stay and go into condemnation over what he once was. But he, rea- he never lost sight of the fact that his life was a miracle and, uh, and that he would have remained what he was apart from what God had done. I, I shudder to think about who I would be today apart from the Lord uh, where I would have gone what I would have done I was thinking about it uh, last night and uh, it, quite independent of the sermon and uh, just so thankful for uh, the fact that he saved me and he's made me into another person and I know that you you feel uh, the same way I mentioned it every once in a while and, uh, but it, it, I, I can't find a better, you know, way to uh, kind of uh, explain it than the illustration of Gail Irwin, who was a friend of mine, who uh, once worked for a Christian uh, denomination that published a magazine, and one of Gail's responsibilities was, uh, in, in the editing of that magazine, was to go to the fastest growing church within that denomination in the United States and and do an article on it and of course everybody wants to think wow you know we all like these wow kind of articles about whatever group we're a part of and uh, so one time he went to this place and he did the article and it was in the magazine and sometime later he's traveling and he's in a motel room and up uh, uh, turns on christian television and here is the pastor of that church uh, uh, sometime later, and the uh, interviewer asked them uh, what he, you know, what was the, the key to the success of the church and all. And Gail thought to himself, if he has any other answer than the grace of God, it's over. And unfortunately, he did have a different answer than the grace of God, and within a year that church returned to its its former size the Lord will not share His glory with another. Not with idols, not with another man. And uh, Paul was aware of that. I, there's another Gail Irwinism that uh, I, I like in, in this regard. I heard him say one time, God's choice of me is the only thing that makes me wonder about Him. <laughs> and, uh, and that's the truth of it, isn't it? If, you, if we can stay there, we'll be just fine in uh, no matter how much God uh, might use a person. And uh, that was always seemed to be the conviction of the Apostle Paul as well. And in guarding against this awful curse uh, called pride that can occur in Christian ministry. So we're to enjoy our Christian service. Uh, It should be a source of of, uh, deep satisfaction within our lives, great fulfillment within our lives as God uses us, but we're never to lose sight of the fact that we're merely instruments in God's hands. As Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And if we lose sight of that, he has a very simple way of reminding us. He just backs off, and we can't accomplish anything. In verses 20 and 21, uh, Paul really reveals to us that he possessed a pioneer uh, spirit. It was Paul's policy not to go anywhere in his missionary journeys where the gospel had already been preached, uh, but rather to go to cities where the gospel had not come there yet, and then to preach the gospel, uh, and, uh, and then establish a church. He would train up leadership there. He would then turn the church over to that leadership, and he would then make his way to the next city. The longest time that he spent that we know of in any particular city in doing that was Ephesus for three years. Uh, a second, not even a close second, was uh, in Corinth where he spent a year and a half. But those, even those lengths of time were extraordinary. He was, he was on the move this way in terms of, of of his life, and very much a missionary and an evangelist. He was an apostle, he was a pastor, he was all those things, but, but a missionary and evangelist as well. And I think this is the reason, as Paul makes it clear to them in verse 22, this is the, why he had been hindered from coming to Rome uh, to begin with. Rome had already received the gospel, Rome already had a church established there, so in Paul's thinking, why should I go there, when so many other places haven't yet uh, heard the gospel, and and there is no church there. And uh, Paul's reason for this policy in his life, he says in verse 20, lest I should build on another man's foundation. And Paul isn't being prideful about that. It's not like, I, I, you know, that's below me. I, I, that's not something that I'd be willing to do. It, it really just speaks to the great passion that he had to reach the world with the gospel, to do it as quickly as as possible. In verse, he, he quotes there in, in verse 21, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 15, and what he's quoting there is those, from those handful of verses in Isaiah chapter 52 that immediately precedes chapter 53, which is probably the most significant messianic passage in the entire uh, Old Testament. And and uh, that pa- this passage that he quotes, it speaks to uh, the Messiah, speaking of Jesus, and speaks of Messiah providing salvation uh, to the nations of the world, the whole world, not just the Jews, and the positive response that the gospel would receive if somebody would just take it to the world. And, and he claimed that verse, and that's what he was doing uh, with his life. I do think it's important to understand and, and, uh, and uh, that Paul is not advocating uh, his policy concerning himself for everyone. Uh, when he says, I don't go where somebody else has already gone, I don't want to lay on another man's foundation. I've heard sermons preached to uh, people in leadership that this is the ideal and all. It isn't uh, that at all. Paul is simply saying, for his call upon his life, this was his Uh, his conviction. And uh, he wasn't saying that this is the best and the highest calling any person can have. Uh, It was just uh, how he felt he was to spend his life. I mean, if nobody, if everybody in Christian service only went... Uh, and, uh, and especially if you're talking about apostles or missionaries or evangelists or you're talking about pastors. I mean, if, if everyone did as Paul did, then the only churches that would be in existence in the world would be churches that had been established by the pioneering uh, pastor. And then as soon as he dies and goes to heaven, then everything has to uh, restart, and everything would dissolve at the death of the founding pastor, because no one would want to continue the work, because they'd be building on that foundation. But uh, obviously, as we're very uh, well aware, there's a whole world of churches a whole world of pastors and missionaries that are continuing the work that's been begun by uh, other people. And, and it's vital that God gifts people and He anoints people not only to pioneer, but to also then take over one day and lead effectively these, these works that others have pioneered. I, I, it, it is good to know that there are leaders in the body of Christ worldwide, and, uh, and every local church needs to have them as well. But they possess what is oftentimes referred to as a pioneer uh, spirit. And then you have others uh, around the world, and within a local church, you have more of a, a settler uh, spirit. And the Pioneer's focus is always on the lost. It's always on the unreached uh, world out there. I think about Danny Layman with uh, YWAM, here, uh, reading his books through the years and then hearing him uh, preach here in one of the sermons that he taught here uh, years ago. And, and here he is, this incredible gift as an evangelist. And, and, he's, and he's going through... Uh, it's a small world at Disneyland with his family and he gets to the end and he's about to disembark the boat with his family and he's weeping and he's saying, we've got to reach these people. And I mean, that's how he's processing this trip through the whole world, and he's not, you know, kidding. And his wife said, "Relax, we're just enjoying Disneyland today." But that's 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 the kind of spirit that this kind of a, a of a person uh, has, or you have uh, in that that pioneer spot, and they're they're not interested in settling down in 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 one church for. Uh, for decades, or oftentimes within a local church, you, uh, the primary their primary focus won't be on the week in and week out of the church, the nitty gritty uh, of of uh, the the weekly cycle uh, of a church. They're focused on the next mission trip, or the next evangelistic outreach of the church, or or the next sharing the gospel outreach. Or like Paul, Paul had more vision to reach the world. He had more things that he wanted to do in that that regard than he could ever uh, come to. The pioneer has vision just kind of uh, pouring out of their lives. They'll have more vision all their life than ever they will be able to get to. It's a part of that that kind of person and that kind of of spirit. Everything in every area of the church, it needs to be expanding, moving on uh, to the next thing. And this Pioneer spirit, of course, is vital in Christianity worldwide, and it's vital that every local church has people like this uh within it. Otherwise would the church becomes stagnant, it becomes uh inwardly focused and and uh, loses its vision really to reach the lost and uh with the gospel and then you've got the the settlers focus and and their focus is more upon maintaining and strengthening what already exists in a local uh church and uh, they have a concern of course every christian does for reaching the whole world with the gospel and uh but their primary focus what really the passion in their bones is to see uh, those who've already become christians now become mature christians to disciple them uh, into full maturity in in that local church. And so, you've got the pioneer, and here's this guy or this gal, and they're, re- they're ready to run through brick walls uh, in order to I- I- advance the, the, the gospel. But they have very little interest or, or, or even much of a calling to then uh, clean up the mess they've made in this big hole in the wall. And, uh, you know, to now take this uh, opening that they've produced and make something of it, to do something decently, make something decent and orderly uh, of it. They're just simply looking for the next wall to run through for God's glory, and it's a great gifting. And uh, it is those with this needed settler mentality who have to come behind them and bring some kind of semblance of order so that it'll have a lasting impact and and fruitfulness. And these are generalizations, of course. But I say all of this really for all of us to recognize the need for both kinds of people in the body of Christ and in a local church. All of us, we have a kind of a, a gift exaltation. Uh, all of us are tempted to think that the gift that God has given us or the calling that God has called us to is the most important thing in the world. After all, it's what He called us to. And, and, uh, and sometimes it takes a little while to go as a Christian and to realize that, no, I am called to do a certain thing, but it plays a part in a much larger picture. And as important as what I do is, it wouldn't be anything apart from the Holy Spirit, but also apart from what others do then around that. And sometimes there can be, you know, the settler can get frustrated with the pioneer. Uh, They're always making a mess. There's the proverb that talks about uh, the stall that is clean. Uh, And the stall that is clean is a stall, uh, animal stall, that doesn't have any animals in it. Uh, No work is getting done. I mean, any stall stall can be kept clean if there's no animal and no work is being done. Uh, A messiness, a certain amount of messiness in a church, uh, indicates that somebody's trying to do something and uh, and to realize that that the pioneer is going to be messy at times. And then the pioneer can't get frustrated with uh, that others don't share their zeal to uh, go out and you know, knock these walls down, but that they have a calling then to bring some semblance of order uh, to to what the pioneer ha- has done. They're not, uh, you know, uh, a, a contradictory to one another. They're very complementary visions and passions. And, and, uh, and Paul reveals himself to have been this, but he understood the importance of the rest. That's why he appointed leadership in these different places and went on, on his way. Paul, in verses 22 to uh, 24, he expressed his desire to uh, visit with them. And uh, he explained that, uh, it, it, that this was the reason, he, again, that he had been hindered from coming to Rome because the gospel had already come to Rome. a church had already been established in Rome there in verse uh, 22. But e- even here, uh, consistent with this calling, uh, he says, I, I, I'm going to visit you. I want to visit you, but it will only be a part of a trip to go to Spain. Because at that point in time, Spain had not yet been reached uh, with with the gospel. But again, I think Paul's sensitivity uh, to people is on full uh, display here. And he knew that uh, with what he, what he was doing and the fact that he hadn't visited them up to this point, that they could misunderstand that They could take that personally. Uh, Paul uh, views what is happening here in Rome in a diminished way. He doesn't have an appreciation for it, or he thinks he's too good to come and visit with us here. And Paul said it has nothing to do with that at all. There's entire metropolitan areas in the ancient world that don't even remotely have what you have Spiritually, and I'm compelled to go there first. And so, again, he communicates uh, clearly, and, and it's important. And when a person communicates clearly, more clearly than they really need to, it, it indicates a, a, their, their view of people. It indicates a concern uh, for, for people, because you don't have to do that. Uh, but Paul wanted to be especially clear. There's an old saying for preachers, and that is, uh, a mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. Uh, if the pulpit isn't clear, you ever been in a sermon where it's like, I don't have any idea what, you know? And uh, and the preacher realizes that if he's fuzzy at all, if he doesn't know what he's saying, then people really don't know what we're saying. A mist in the pulpit, a fog in the pew. Uh, there's an, another old saying for preachers, and that is it's, it's not enough merely... Uh, to say things in a way so as to be understood, but to say things in a way that you can't be misunderstood. Some of you are thinking, well, if you're able to quote these sayings by heart, why haven't you taken them to heart in your uh, ministry? Wait a second, I'm getting a word from the Lord again here for somebody. But You ever watch these English movies that are like, they're period pieces. I don't know if it's the 16, 17, 1800s, or, you know, early 1900s. And you've got these English people who fall in love. And it's just as clear as anybody can understand. She loves him, and he loves her. And nobody will say it. And you get to the end of the movie, and he gets on the bus and goes off on the bus, and she's standing there, and they're a perfect couple. They'd spend the rest of their life absolutely happy with one another, and no one will say the thing that needs to be said. I yell at the television and issues like this. I have a wife who's wonderful uh, about this. I'm a little more uh, closed on, on some of those things, so I... I'm a Scot, but I'm also Irish, so I got both of these the dynamics going on in my life. But my wife is a clear communicator, has been all, it was one of the gifts that God brought into my life through her, but she, she will always communicate with clarity so that nothing can be misunderstood. And it's a tremendous, tremendous gift. And, and this whole thing, you know, missing in the pulpit, fog in the pew, that has application in marriages. It has application in raising children. It has application in a workplace. It has application in our personal uh, relationships and the importance of, of speaking, caring about people enough that I'll say a little bit more so that I can't be misunderstood and uh, to their, their uh, detriment. Paul went on in uh, verse 25 through 28, and he kind of shared his current project that he was uh, involved in. He had uh, taken offerings among the Gentile churches that he had planted. Uh, he writes a lot about it in 1 in, uh, Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, and uh, and, and there's a, quite a record of it in the book of Acts. But he f- he felt like it was important to build a bridge between Uh, the jewish church the church made up of jews for the most part in jerusalem and then uh, among the gentile churches uh, uh, away from the land of israel and he was always looking to try and and build bridges in that regard and so he had taken up an offering uh in order for from the gentile churches to then take to rome the christians there were going through great hardship and uh, deprivation, and in order to give them that that offering. And so, Paul, he uh, makes mention of this to them, and uh, not in order that they would participate in the offering at all. It was too late for that. Uh, He's just simply sharing with them something that excited him. Uh, this is the kind of thing that you do with friends. This is someone who's comfortable with people. This is someone who is uh, unguarded in a, in a sanctified kind of way. He, uh, I think sometimes a lot of us are, are too guarded on things. And nobody ever gets to know anything and, and all. And Paul here, it, just this great vulnerability, he's excited about it, and, uh, and he wants to share with them what it is that uh, God's up to at the moment. And you think about how many times Paul had been burned by people. Uh, in In his ministry, and yet he uh, he refused to become kind of this distant brooding uh, hurt, bitter uh, servant uh, of the lord and uh, Here he maintains this and and he 's going to uh, keep this openness, this excitement, this sharing with other christians and and other servants of the lord happening within within his life and he and he did that another gail irwin story this is the gail irwin sermon uh, but he kept coming to mind as i was preparing it uh, gail irwin i remember many many years ago as a new pastor he talked about how in seminary he had been taught that uh, you know that they were being taught as pastors that when you go into the church uh, you know, it's kind of like put an inner tube, big inner tube around you. Don't let people get uh, too close. Build walls, walls of protection, and this, this kind of, of thing for your own longevity and your own self-protection. And Gail, uh, you know, he, he, he listened to what was being said, and I think he even tried it initially, and then his conclusion was, but it's too lonely. It's too lonely. And uh, the Apostle Paul could have built walls high and thick for the rest of his life, but it's too lonely. And the body of Christ is very relational and uh, this interaction. And uh, Paul didn't let, you know, what others had done to him in one kind of setting to uh, spoil this related to uh, having this attitude and openness of his relationship uh, elsewhere. And and Paul, uh, as we'll see in chapter 16, he he lived anything but a lonely Christian life. And then in verses 30 to 32, Paul closes this kind of formal uh, part of his letter to the church at Rome by pleading with the church at Rome to pray for him. And uh, you might wonder, uh, and and so as he pleads for prayer, you notice simply the the strength of the words that Paul uses in making this request. Notice that word in verse 30, he begs them. That's That's a strong word. And uh, so, if Paul's just using hyperbole, if he's just using kind of exaggeration, then, then it means nothing. Uh, but uh, if, if there in, in verse 30, he, as he says there, I, now I beg you, brethren, if, if he really uses that word beg sincerely, it reveals a great deal about Paul's view of prayer. And uh, that uh, begging, it carries the idea of pleading. And uh, it it reveals that Paul recognized uh, the vitalness of prayer related to the success of his ministry. And uh, that, that his ministry and his effectiveness was based upon two things, the grace of God and people who prayed for him. He was always asking people to pray for him. He asked strangers to pray for him. Uh, Anybody he could find as a Christian to pray uh, uh, for him. And so there's just this uh, urgency, this strong uh, emotion that Paul uh, recognizes related to his his need for prayer. You notice in verse 30 he uses the word strive. We get our word uh, agony from the Greek word that Paul uses there. Uh, and, it, it, and it literally means to assist in a struggle, uh, to contend for victory, as in like the Olympic Games. The, uh, one translation puts it, be my allies in the fight. And that captures it uh, very, very well. And he says, uh, he, he asked for the prayer, notice also in verse 30, for me. Uh, Paul possessed no self-consciousness in asking other people to pray for him. I would contend that every single one of us as Christians need to have at least three to four to five people that we know well and are current uh, with us in terms of relationship in our lives, that we could come to them and and, uh, ask them for prayer related to any issue and And they would they would pray uh, for us to have that kind of of connectedness, and Paul does it and you look at hi, him in, in the prayers, the things that he asks for prayer all the way through his epistles there 's no hiding things, there 's no couching things there 's no saying, "Well, I wonder if I ask for this, will they think that i 'm unspiritual, or will they think that I, you know that, that I am not close enough to God to have enough faith related to this situation he's he isn't getting lost in his head on any of this kind of stuff. And there are some, some Christians who find it very, very difficult to open up about their lives and to ask other people for prayer and to be that kind of transparent in terms of letting people know about the need within our life for specific areas of prayer. And it's, it's, not, it's not a good thing. And... And so Paul, no self-consciousness at all, and, 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 uh, and no concern over how he would be judged by making a, a prayer need known to others. And he didn't consider uh, asking for prayer to be uh, a selfish thing, uh, but, but very necessary. So clearly Paul was, not only was he a man of prayer, but he was a man who continually sought prayer uh, from others for himself. And, that really, it, it models humility in, in, this, uh, in, in, a, in a very, very important way. I mean, here you have the great apostle Paul. Oh boy, I mean, what, if I ask them for prayer related to this, what will they think of apostles? And, and with these things that could go uh, through his, his mind. And yet, he asks fellow Christians, people he doesn't even know uh, personally for prayer. In fact, he pleads with them uh, to pray for him. And it's important to ask ourselves and just the privacy of our own heart. When's the last time you or I, as a Christian, asked another Christian to pray for us? I think some of us, this is almost like a daily thing for us in our relationship with other people, but it may, there may be an entire block of us in, in, in the fellowship that it, you might stop and think that it's been days or weeks or months or years since you've asked anyone uh, to pray for you in a specific area of your life, and you're missing an entire... Uh, dynamic in your Christian life that that is important that you that you don 't uh, miss, and I think our culture fights against this, our culture uh, nurtures individualism, uh, it nurtures uh, personal kind of privacy, though people put anything and everything on facebook and all of these other places. It's so funny. We're so worried about privacy in in one regard. And then we think that uh, everyone is interested in every meal that we eat. And we put a picture of it. And then we're disappointed that when they aren't. Uh, How many likes did my taco get uh, that I took a picture of with me here? So there's this funny kind of combination, but we're very individualistic in some regards. We're very, very, uh, very private. Uh, very, very self-reliant. We're known around the world for these kind of things, and sometimes the culture has a greater influence on our lives in this regard uh, than certainly what we see modeled by the Apostle Paul in terms of, of asking prayer of, of other, uh, other people. Notice his three very straightforward prayer requests that that he asked for in verse 31 and 32 he asked first of all that uh, upon bringing his gift to this financial gift to jerusalem that he'd be delivered uh, verse 31 from those in judea who did not believe the jewish leadership uh, the jewish community under the scribes and the pharisees considered paul a uh, a traitor they were very very hostile toward him Uh, when paul was going to jerusalem the threat of physical harm was very very real uh, for him. And he asked for prayer over that. Uh, second, again in verse 31, he asked that his gift for the needy Jewish Christians would re- be received by those Jewish Christians. That would be complicated because here he comes, Paul, the traitor in the view of uh, eyes of so many uh, Jews. He comes in, and if he gives the gift and they receive the gift, it can make life very hard for them in the city of Jerusalem. And so he realized, I'm going to put them in a difficult place by offering this gift, but they need the gift, and they need the expression of love, and so I'm going to do it, but pray for them. I know I'm going to put them in a strait betwixt two, and would you pray that they'd have the grace to be able to receive the gift? And then third in verse 32, that he would then come to visit them in Rome for fellowship and, and spiritual refreshment. Uh, it's, I think it's important to realize that God's answer to those three prayer requests by Paul would turn out very, very different for him than he hoped. And all of it's recorded uh, in, in the book of Acts. Uh, he would end up ultimately in Roman custody as a result of a physical assault upon him by his uh, Jewish enemies in Jerusalem and if a roman uh, guard had not gone and rescued him uh, the jewish religious leaders and others would have beat him to death uh, with their own fists right there in the area uh, of of the temple Uh, the financial gift that uh, was delivered to the jewish saints in jerusalem but their reaction to it was very very muted and then in terms of his third request in prayer he would end up in rome one day but not as he intended uh, but rather he would end up in rome as a prisoner of rome in roman custody to stand trial before caesar to whom he had appealed as a a roman uh, citizen and i think that here we're reminded that all prayer requests that we make to god as christians are made in submission to uh, God's will. It is never unspiritual to pray to God with the qualification, as Paul does here, if it be your will. And there's some Christians that, uh, you notice there in verse 32, as Paul uh, prayed that way, there are some Christians today who believe and they also uh, teach that uh, it is unspiritual to qualify any prayer at all with uh, in uh, you know uh, your will be done god in this situation no no you 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 make that claim you demand uh that change in the circumstances you demand what it is that you uh want and anything else than that is is unspiritual paul knew uh, nothing about that kind of uh, of, of a prayer life uh, this kind of submission to God, and as Paul expresses it here, is not an, never an expression of unbelief. It's always an expression of submission and, and humility. And if God says no to any prayer request that we make of Him, it's only because He has something better in mind. I'll tell you, at this point in my Christian life, I am almost uh, more thankful for the prayers that God said no to, than the ones that he said yes to. And uh, because what I was praying was misguided, but because the prayers were prayed, Lord, but your will be done. It it was prayed in Jesus' name. Let it be answered in accordance with his nature and his will. That God then went and did uh, what he chose to do and what he chooses to do he can answer our prayers with yes no uh, or later and uh, but he does say no to our prayers but when he says no it's always to do something uh, better i like a quote in this regard uh, god nothing does nor suffers to be done But what thou wouldst thyself do, couldst thou see the end of all he does as well as he? In other words, God answers all my prayers the same way I would answer them if I had his wisdom, his power, and his love. And it is the absolute truth. So someone might raise the question, and we close with this, and that is, well, why uh, pray then? And that's a big subject, and uh, I'll limit myself on, on that subject. So, sufficient for our purposes this morning, is that when we pray for something, and when God answers our prayers differently than we ask, then we have a confidence that we would not have if we did not pray. We have the confidence of knowing that He heard my prayer but he is now superseding that prayer to now do something better. And we would not have that confidence if we had not first prayed to him uh, to begin with. And that is a great confidence to walk through in life related to prayer. Paul closes with a benediction in verse 33, a prayer for God to bring his peace to each one of their lives uh, as Christians there in Rome, and God's presence brings peace into our lives. What a frantic, again, thinking about some things yesterday, and I think about them often. I'm a little bit of a news junkie. I limit myself severely these days, but I look at the world, and every once in a while, I just stop, and I put myself, and I just say, how would I be processing this if I didn't know God? if I didn't know that he was in control, if I didn't know and see from the Scriptures that all of this is marching toward his His prophetic end, I mean, you'd, you'd be frantic in in the, in in the light of of how explosive the world is right now, how fragile the world is right now. But it's the presence of God that brings a peace into our lives that we would never otherwise know. And how rich just that peace that he brings into our lives by his presence makes us, uh, if, if he brought nothing else, and he brings uh, so much more. Let's stand together now, and we'll close in prayer. Before we pray, when we go through passages like this in the Scripture, um, where you know I don't want to spend one sermon on every single point. Sometimes I feel like it's I'm playing Jeopardy a little bit, and it's like um, you know you, 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 there's so many subjects. You know I'll take potpourri for two hundred dollars, Alex, and uh, and and so boom, 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 boom. So many things that that are laid out, and. Uh, but you know with the central theme of of a, a glimpse into paul and into that that his life and what it has to speak to us every christian's life has something to speak uh, to us in a way of exhortation edification or comfort and and this uh, this beautiful glimpse and so, so uh, hopefully something stuck in in the course of all of it this morning and so lord we pray that this morning thank you for this word we thank you for the apostle paul we thank you that for the theological aspect of the letter and how wonderful that is. But then this, uh, this new thing that happens in the end where Paul begins to go all over the place and in his heart and in his relationship with you. And, we thank you that you recorded it for us and that these things got to be planted in our hearts today, affirming things that already exist within our lives, uh, challenging other things that exist but shouldn't, Lord, and and nudging us in, in directions that might be un, uh, poorly nurtured, Lord, or developed within our lives. And so we pray that your Spirit would continue to use this passage to. To speak to us as we leave this place always we're grateful for the washing the equipping lord the feeding that comes from your word and we thank you for the time that we got to spend in it this morning and we thank you in jesus name amen if you